Hey guys, before we jump in to this very <laughs> intense and honest episode, I just wanted to ask if you haven't had a chance yet to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on almost any platform that you listen on, especially on Spotify and iTunes. If you wouldn't mind just subscribing, you'll be notified on Mondays when I put out a new episode. And then if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to rate and review the Living Easy podcast. This encourages me to keep going. It also allows me to get really good interviewees who are willing to share their faith and their stories openly and honestly. So all you have to do is scroll down on iTunes from the episode or from the main page of Living Easy and give a quick star rating and a few words of a review. It would mean so much. Thank you all for this community. Thank you for giving me a chance. Thank you for listening and sharing on social media and with friends and family. It truly means the world. So here's my story. Hey friends, we were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how-tos, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. It is so nice to be here with you today. This is kind of my calm in the storm during isolation period. Um... I love to just have truthful, honest conversation. And so today I am going to share my testimony. And the purpose of this is to remind people that we are more than our mess, that there is so much good that can come out of hard and that different lives and different histories and pasts can come to a very similar present life. And that's what's kind of cool to see the growth that can be had over time and that circumstances don't have to dictate our future or our lives in general. So this is going to be maybe a little bit heavier, but it's honest and it's raw and it is what I want this podcast to be about. And so I pray that you guys feel encouraged today. I pray that you feel hopeful no matter what your past might look like, what shame you might have. Um, or hurt that you might currently be living in, just to remind you that God's grace and his mercy surpass everything. And he is powerful enough to squash the pain that maybe you have had in the past and to create a new future for you. And so my teenage years were very empty and broken, but I do feel like this story has impacted many people. And I am just so thankful that God has used that to do so. So just to share a little background, I started a blog a few years ago and this was one of the stories where 
I was trembling (laughs) before I sent it. Like I literally actually burst out crying as soon as I hit publish because there was so much shame in that story. And I had titled it to the girl who wished she hadn't um, sexual purity and or sexual impurity and starting over. And immediately it just blew up. And this was my first post to ever go like viral or whatever. And um, to be honest, at first I was like, wait, I don't want this <laughs> to be spread to the world. That's not, that wasn't my intention. And Relevant Magazine picked it up and then Focus on the Family picked it up and then Faith It picked it up. And it was a lot to take in at once that all of these people were reading my story. But for me, it was so humbling and so good that the honest truth was out there. And then the responses, I actually had to write out a template email because I was getting so many emails and just encouraging people to read my other blog posts and encouraging them and sharing scripture and gospel truth through that email so that they could receive it. But this isn't to say, oh, look at me. I had a viral blog post because if I were to choose a viral blog post, this would be the last one (laughs) that I would pick to go viral. But for me, it showed me how much people need to hear that their past doesn't define them. And even that their current decisions don't define them, but that there is hope and that there is an opportunity for a new heart and a new life to come. And so with that said, I have shared this story before. Um, I, I had this weird fear of it being repetitive and whatever, but it's my story. And so I pray that we never grow numb to the testimonies of people and what God has done in their lives. So with that said, I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) I don't have anything written down. I'm just going to share my mess with you all. So first of all, I was raised by my mom and my dad, and they were divorced when I was four years old, and that changed a lot of things for me. We kind of went back and forth, house to house. There was a lot of mess there. I guess I would say that's where my mess kind of started happening, just with confusion of why police were picking us up from the houses because there was just this major stress that occurred in our homes and um, why I couldn't take a set of clothes to the other house when I'm like this little girl, this was more in elementary school, but why I couldn't take a set of clothes from one house to the other without it becoming this huge deal and um, step parents getting involved and it being like really messy in that sense. And um, I mean... Like, (laughs) I don't want to go into details, but the things we saw were kind of crazy. And so, but our parents loved us and that was their struggle. That was their sin. And the consequence of that definitely played out in their lives. But there's been so much redemption, especially in my mom's marriage, because she and her husband are actually the people who started telling me about Jesus. And that is just so cool. But there was a lot of mess in that. And I think there was a piece of me that felt like I didn't know where I belonged and that I was constantly desiring this attention. And although my parents loved me and they gave us everything, I mean, we had everything and um, like family dinners were so consistent with my mom. But I think this back and forth with homes with very different rules, like very different rules and very different freedoms led to some confusion in my life. And also I really leaned into this freedom that I was given at my dad's home. And so I just, I embraced it. And it started with like 2 a.m. curfews and 
I mean, I had the ability and I did lie about everything like, oh, hey, I'm spending the night at this friend's house. And instead we'd go to parties. And so in middle school is where my promiscuity began and my drinking began and the conflict with the girls began. We had groups of people and like I had a quote unquote group of girls and there was this like cattiness and jealousy with this other group. I was the jealous one probably. I don't think they cared so much, but I like I would thrive off of this competition and um, striving to be better than other people. And then I got involved with this guy and his brother and some friends and it was like downhill from there. When I started getting involved with them and that crew, I was 13 years old, which is always so crazy for me to look back at that age. And I was very aware of like values. My family very much instilled values in us and morals and talked about why, but we didn't have a backing because nobody in our family knew Jesus at that time. So there was no foundation. It was just kind of like, don't do that. And so I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing these things. And I remember the first night I ever drank, we went to this house during spring break and I went and I just kind of sat on the couch. Actually, we went every night during spring break and the first few nights I just sat on the couch and they would like give me a hard time and I wasn't really interested. I didn't care. I like was above that and I prided myself on being above that, but it didn't last long. And a few days in, I just gave in and then we, I just fell for this guy And he was a mess. And we started spending time with them and we would go to these parties and they were probably doing way more than I should have been involved in at that time. But I was so infatuated with this guy that I would show up to everything they were doing and I just wanted to be a part of it. And there was this weird competition with all of the girls of like who could be with this guy even though he was such a disaster. And he played a lot of games with our mind, specifically my mind. And I just didn't, I didn't know at that time, like that I needed to value myself. I didn't know that I had worth. I didn't know. All I knew was that I wanted attention and I wanted his attention. And that was like the catalyst for everything. Because when he would give me that attention, instead of giving all of the other girls attention, which he did as well. There was nothing special about me. And looking back, I'm like, wow, I really devalued myself. Um, But when he would give me that attention for that short period of time, I would totally give into it. And I would thrive off of a text message. And he would send me a text message maybe once every couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's my turn kind of thing. Like he's giving me attention. And, and so When things fell off with that, it was just kind of a mess. And I realized that I was just giving into so much that I didn't want to be a part of. I just went from there. And because I had started drinking and kind of gave into that with my friends because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do and what I needed to do, that we started going to parties. And then we went to one party um, when I was a freshman in high school. And I, I've talked about this a lot, but it never gets more comfortable for me because I go back to the fact that nobody believed me. I can never get that out of my head. And I know that people who didn't believe me even listen to this podcast. And so there's still healing that needs to be done with that. And then I just have believed a lot of lies in my life. And so at this party, 
I got myself into position. I was drinking. I was a freshman. It was my first party I'd ever gone to in high school. And there were a bunch of seniors there. And so, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how detailed I want to be. The first episode, podcast episode I did on this, um, on my old podcast, I deleted like half of my story because it's just a lot. But I also don't want to hinder what God has done because I feel like the freedom that I have to talk now is freedom because of who I am in him and knowing that. So I'll just say what the Holy Spirit puts on my heart and go. I was drinking too much, was talking to this guy who had been dating someone that I knew. And we started talking about her and like, I really loved her. And I was sharing my story with her about her and like why I encouraging them to get back together basically. And then we went, he asked me to go into this room. So we go into this room and he's flirting with me. And at this point I'm thinking like, oh, I'm attracted to you. And again, you guys didn't know Jesus, didn't value friendships could care less about girls and their boyfriends. Like I was so incredibly selfish. And again, that desire for attention, it consumed everything. And so people were important to me or I pretended that they were important to me until they no longer mattered because I was getting that attention. And I think that's completely what happened in that moment. And so we went in this room and I can still see it. Um, and everything was fine. We were just talking and like being flirtatious and then I don't know what happened. He asked me to go into a different room. And so we go into a different room and we're talking and he starts getting a little bit more aggressive, but like still playful. And at this time I call my friend who I knew and we're talking and I was like laughing with her and I don't even remember I was drinking. And so I don't remember what I had said, but then I believe we hung up the phone and I had told this guy, I don't want to do anything. I've never done anything. I was a virgin. That's something that's really important to me. And that's when he got really aggressive. Uh, and I don't want to give those details, but he was very forceful. He was a big guy. He was a football player. And he had his way. He locked the door and put his hand over my mouth and had his way. And so I cried. And he immediately, when he was done, he got up and he um, he put his hand over my mouth because I was crying and calling out. And it was just horrible and he got up and he said I have to go meet this other girl and he just told me I'm gonna go meet her bye and literally just got up and walked out and I'm just in tears and I walked out and the girl I came with I said I want to go home now and I went home and I actually told people I told three people who were very close to me and they believed me. I went to the rape crisis center and they, which was really graphic, but they show you videos of things like you and show you like what has been damaged essentially, and then give you um, a birth control, like plan B pill to take. And then they give you a lot of like, you have a lot of conversation. And I just remember crying and crying and feeling so filthy I just, I felt so filthy and slowly as this started to become a thing, I told my parents and they contacted him and then I won't get into details, but it was just dropped. And so then it became this like, why was it dropped? Was Lindsay like making this up? Is she just excusing herself? And I started getting in my head like, well, I was drinking. Am I remembering this incorrectly? Am I? But then I'm like, no, I 
saw what happened to me at the rape, rape crisis center, that this was not something that was agreed upon and that, that there was physical proof of that by the bruises and stuff on me. And so I would go back there, but then nobody's believing me. And they would say, this guy would never do this. Look, he's such a good guy. And then uh, as years have passed, there are, he's not such a good guy. And people have seen that he's not such a good guy. Um, and he's been to jail. And, and so there's just this like healing that hasn't fully happened in my life because, I mean, I guess at all, healing hadn't happened at all at that point because people disqualified what I said. And they didn't want to believe it and they didn't want it to be a thing. And, and so when it was brought up, there was just like embarrassment on my part. And now I understand like when, when the Me Too movement happened, oh my gosh, I, I understand why people don't say anything because I wish I never, at that time, I wish I never would have because it only made things worse. It only made me feel like what I had to say was important. My body wasn't important. And and that I wasn't to be believed and that this star football player was the one to be believed. And so he, I even saw him one time after and he came up to me with his huge friends and just put like a fake with his fingers, like a fake gun to my head because it was after he knew that I had told people and um, basically just said, your life is over if you say anything else. I didn't know what to do because at that point I didn't have anyone to turn to because everyone I had told just brushed it under the rug. So it was, I mean, it was hard. And I, I was not the most believable girl, you guys. I was scandalous. I was, I liked attention. Like I had said, I wasn't, I wasn't this like sweet, honorable girl. And so they just probably believed that I deserved it. And that is what I took from it. And then that's what I believed for a long time. From then, it just like went even further downhill and I jumped from relationship to relationship because I was insecure and dependent and I felt that men, that's what they deserved and that I wasn't worthy of their attention. And so I would just sleep around because I felt filthy already and I felt so hurt already, I guess, that when I would be with someone and like want to just have conversation, I never felt like that was enough. And they, obviously they pursued other things. And so I would do it and I would leave crying or I would leave feeling disgusting and I'd like go take a shower. And most of this was with boyfriends that I had, but it never became something that felt right to me. And if I felt that a relationship at that time was even on the rocks, I would make sure that I had someone else waiting in the background for me because the boyfriends that I had cheated on me and they dated other people. And that first, like my first interaction with that relationship with that guy that I was so infatuated by, I think that dictated everything. I felt like I needed to cling to people, but I also felt that I was so dispensable that I needed to make sure I had someone else on the side. And I always relate it to my heart just being like a torn up piece of cloth and I kept trying to patch it back together with the wrong things, and that was with guys. Hey everyone, 
I know this episode is a little heavy, and so I'm bringing a little bit of lightness and joy to it. I just want to say that it has been such a blessing to have the opportunity to share stories like today's and other stories with people all across the world. Not only do I have listeners from the U.S. and Australia, but I have listeners from Indonesia, China, Malaysia, South Africa, and it's so important for me to connect with all of you in the best way that I can. And so I've recently created something called a Patreon account. With the Patreon account, I've given the opportunity to connect face-to-face with my listeners, whether you guys have been following for years or are brand new, with a monthly Zoom chat. So we talk about verses, we talk about marriage and motherhood and friendships and faith and just dive into real life face-to-face friendships. And then I also have the bestie thing. And in the bestie thing, I see you guys. And with this, I want to share what you're doing. I want to uplift the women who are around me and in my sphere and with the bestie thing I will share your business or your platform or whatever it might be with my 40,000 plus followers and all of my email subscribers I'll choose one person each month so if you want to be a part of the coffee date thing or the bestie thing or just support this ministry that is spreading the gospel around the world please go to patreon.com backslash living easy my friends saw my life And they loved me anyway, which honestly, looking back, I'm like, man, those girls were gracious. I'm sure they had plenty to say behind my back, maybe, but they were also just loving and they would just try to encourage a different pattern of living, but they loved me anyway. And none of us knew Jesus. None of us had any idea of what was right or what was wrong. And so I jumped relationship to relationship. I could not be alone. I mean, I had one person in my life who was like always there. And it's probably one of the biggest heartaches in my life because I took advantage so much of that person that he was always there. And so I'd be in a relationship. And as soon as that relationship was crumbling, I had the phone number of that person that I knew would always be there. And I stole so much of his life from him because I was so dependent. And in these relationships... Oh, you guys, I'm struggling as I'm talking about this. I'm like, uh, should I even go here? It's a lot. But God, again, this story has brought healing to girls. And it's not because of anything I've said, but it's because of what God has done since this point. And so um, jump to a relationship that was very serious for me. It was about three and a half years long. And we basically lived together and... I was just crushed. At this point in my life, I'd just been drinking so much and making a fool of myself and feeling so ashamed of my life. And my parents and my sister and other people close to me had been telling me about Jesus and I wanted nothing to do with it. I would read the Bible and I would say, this God is evil, close the Bible and toss it away. And so I started studying Buddhism and I got all of these books on Buddhism. And I was like, well, it's telling me to like, change my own heart and I don't have the ability. I've tried and I started practicing all of like the Buddhist principles and trying to understand and abide by them, but nothing was changing. Like my desire for change was there, but I couldn't change myself. I had tried. I hated who I was. And so then I started studying like everything else. I just started looking into it. Scientology and then um what is that one book where it's like if you ask it into existence it comes? Tried that 
didn't do anything, but I just didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so I was looking for anything I could and I would study and research while I'm still going out and drinking. And I remember one night I'm walking down this road in the rain in a tiny dress like this main street, probably at midnight, walking to this guy's house that I didn't even want to be with, but I was with him because I didn't want to be alone. And I just had that breakdown moment of, I cannot live my life like this anymore. I am so empty. I am striving after the wind. I am, I'm chasing all of these temporary satisfactions, alcohol and weed and men specifically. And None of it is satisfying my heart. Like, what am I missing? There has to be more to life than this. And so I started talking to my family more about Jesus and just asking questions and kind of like testing the waters. And when they would give me an answer I didn't want to hear, I was out the door again because I wanted my sin. I still wanted to hold on to like the fun Lindsay who had alcohol all the time and got this attention from these guys. Like what a boring life to not have that. I didn't know any different. And so when they would tell me I needed to drop my sin, I would walk away. And that is one of the main reasons I talk to women and just say like, come as you are. You don't have to drop your sin because God will do that part for you. Sometimes we just don't have the power to let it go. And I didn't, I didn't have the ability to stop those little things that I still clung so desperately to. And it was in the moment when my boyfriend, I found out that boyfriend of three and a half years, it was such an up and down roller coaster of a relationship with no respect and, and cheating on both ends that I was wrecked. And there was that physical connection and then there was that emotional connection. And I always say when we give our bodies to someone, we're giving 50% of ourselves along with giving our minds. And so all of these guys that I had dated, I had just offered up pieces of my heart that to this day I can't ever get back. I think we think when we're 14, we're going to just forget these people and these relationships and that once we're married that there's complete healing and you never think about these people again. But that has not been at least my experience. And it's been, there's been a lot of healing that Jesse and I have had to have because of the pain in my past. And I think that is one of the hardest things as I'm a 30 year old woman, that when I think back to the pain of when I'm 14 years old and like, giving so much of myself away and not having the ability to get that back and not having the ability to like, like I can heal, but I can't forget. I will never be able to forget what I did to myself and what I let others do to me. And I had no self-respect. I really didn't. So in my marriage, my husband has had to take on that burden knowing what my past looked like, knowing that I was a mess and that it has tainted me. Um, and he's had to walk me through bad dreams that I had of these, still have of these people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have not thought about this person in literally five years and Satan is giving me these dreams where I'm like remembering them and missing them. 
And it's like you forget the toxicity that they brought to your life and you only remember the good moments. And he walks me through because I'm the type of person, like if I let those thoughts stay in my head, I feel that they'll lead me somewhere, like that temptation will take over. And so any struggle I've ever had, whether I see an attractive guy or because I know my struggle is like having attention and that if I see an attractive guy, I just have to tell Jesse right away because once it's in the light, I think Satan loses his power over it. And so once I put it out there and just say, hey, I'm struggling or hey, I saw this and it's weird because it's been in my head or I had this dream, let's like work through it. And my husband has been so gracious and so forgiving and understanding of those things. And he knew everything before we got married, of course. But we didn't know that eight years into our marriage, I would still be having dreams of ex-boyfriends. It doesn't go away. And so for me, whenever I talk to women, I want to encourage them or young girls. I just believe so much in God's call to purity, not because I've lived it at all, but because I've lived the opposite. And I know the damage that it does to give your body away to one guy or to 10 guys because you're giving a piece of yourself to them that you will never get back. And that can cause pain in your marriage. And so knowing that Jesus has good for you because he promises that to those who love him and are called according to his purpose knowing that he loves you and desires good for you. He's not asking you to withhold and abstain because you're religious and it's a rule that you have to abide by. I would do anything to go back and to change that. But because I can't, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share my story in hopes that others will learn from my mistakes and know that it is not worth it to not listen to that calling in scripture because there's only pain to follow. I truly believe that, have experienced it. But God, you guys, God has changed my everything. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19 years old and I have loved him and I failed him ever since then. But he loves me endlessly and I continue to strive to live a life for him because he has healed me. If I'm honest, when I finally came to surrender to him, it was like this, all right, God, I'll try you. Like I'll try Jesus because I've tried everything else and nothing changes, but something was different immediately. Oh my gosh, I'll never forget. I told my mom who was a believer at the time, I was like, I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to stop like sleeping with guys and I'm going to stop all these things And I expected this great response from her, which there was probably like a lot of hurt just knowing that that had like such a hold on my life. But what I didn't realize at the time was that loving God didn't mean I'm just giving up all of this. It meant an entirely new life. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a verse that I always go back to. And it says, in Christ, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that is exactly what happened when I finally surrendered my life and just said, God, take it. I can't do this anymore. I remember being in church. I had, I had kind of surrendered before church, but once I had gotten to church that week, I went with my mom and he shared a sermon on giving your life up for, to not lose your soul. The verse, don't lose your soul for the sake of the world. And 
I realized I had lost my soul. I had lost everything I stood for. I had lost everything I believed in. And I just gave in to anything that felt good because I I had a huge hole in my heart that I didn't realize Jesus needed to fill and then take hold of everything in my body, my mind, my heart. He gave me grace in spite of my selfishness. And it was like moments, you guys. And this is so transformative for me because there were just these huge moments in my life that were really messy and like this drama with these girls. And within days of surrendering my life, God was just like through reading his word was just like, call these girls and apologize. You gossiped about them. You hurt them. You said things to them that were very malicious. And I sat, I remember one day I'm in my apartment. One day I just called every girl that I had ever hurt, that I thought I had ever hurt. I'm sure there's probably more that I didn't realize. And I asked for their forgiveness. And that was the most humbling and probably difficult part of surrendering my life. And it wasn't that God was like, do this. You know, it was this heavy conviction of if I'm going to heal and change, I need to make things right. I apologized to the ex-boyfriends that I had done things to and cheated on or wrecked their lives or for the time period, whatever I had done. And man, that was hard. But that was a moment when I was done with those phone calls. I was just on my face in tears because that was like the first sign where I saw what God had really done in me. I had never felt remorse for the things I had done. I was incredibly manipulative. I would do anything to make people think well of me, even if that meant tearing, it was such a twisted perspective, but even if that meant tearing someone else down. So once I surrendered my all to him, the filth, the maliciousness, the despair, my loneliness, I knew, I just knew, I felt, I experienced that something was going to be different. And it was, you guys, my desires were different. I dropped everything. Like I actually did have to let go of a lot of friends at that time because I knew I didn't have the strength. It wasn't that they were the problem. I was for sure the problem, but I knew I didn't have the strength to step away from what they were doing. And I had to step away from them for a season. And he changed everything. And I knew that something new was coming at that time. I was, I was 19 years old and I was so ready and excited to destroy the life that I had lived and for it to become a distant memory, albeit not a memory that was completely evaporated, but a distant memory. And I drove to my church and I had remembered hearing Jessica Simpson say on the radio like a really long time ago that she was a secondhand virgin. And I thought that was the most bizarre thing, but I also remember it never leaving my mind. And I just wanted that, but I, I couldn't because I was in a relationship and I'm like, well, we've already started. We can't stop, which was such a lie. But I also didn't have the foundation of Christ to make me see that sex was a good thing created for marriage, created by God for pleasure, for joy in the confines of marriage, because I wasn't, even if I was engaged to someone, I mean, we had talked about engagement, this boyfriend and I, and I could have said like, well, we're going to get married anyway but we didn't because I don't know God's plan. And so even in engagement, had I given myself, I would have been just entrusting that to me, like that my plan was the right plan. 
but we don't know that the plan is the right plan until we are in our marriage and have said our vows and know that this is the one that God has given us. And so the secondhand virgin thing kept coming to me and I just said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to trust that Jesus is powerful enough to rid me of this temptation and to help me, to help me to stick to this commitment. So I drove to my church where I knew they sold parody rings and I got, I bought it, I had it in my bag and I walked to my car and I shut my door and I put it on my finger and I could not have prepared myself for the amount of emotion. And the reason the emotion was there wasn't because this ring said anything. I mean, the ring didn't say anything. This was my heart and that I knew that there was a heart change and that the ring wouldn't keep me from having sex and wouldn't keep me from relying on men to fulfill my every desire or every ounce of loneliness. But it was the heart change where God was telling me, I will be that for you, Lindsay. I will fill this hole in your heart. I will satisfy this longing. I am enough for you. These men will never bring that. Your husband will never offer you what you need. He's never going to be enough, but I am always enough. And so when I put that ring on, I knew that. And I could not have prepared myself. Like I was wrecked. It still makes me so emotional. Like I just broke because I realized I had wasted so much of my life. I mean, six years I lived like this, you guys. Like it felt, and that was the period where I'm moldable. And when I'm shifting and when I'm changing, I'm maturing. And and I chose that route throughout that whole time. And so I just, in my car, I just start sobbing. And then I just like ugly cried. <laughs> if you can imagine an ugly cry, I just kept hearing that same verse. Like you are a new creation. You do not have to be the woman that you were yesterday. You do not have to be in an unhealthy, toxic relationship like you were yesterday because I change lives. I change hearts. I am the God of the universe. I am creator of your DNA and I have threaded you and I have built you, Lindsay. I have put you in your mother's womb and created you from the ground up and I love you and I want you to love me back, but I'm not going to force that. And that's the thing, you guys, God never forced me but he gave me sign after sign after sign by talking through people who loved him to speak to me and by verses coming to me in random ways. And my mom sharing scripture after scripture that like never left my heart because God's word never returns void. And I can still go back to her words and like calling me to purity and calling me to morality and calling me to love him. And even though I would roll my eyes, those words never left my heart. So don't give up on the people that you love but I knew I was surrendering everything. And I knew I was giving up this life that I thought that I loved, even though I knew that I hated it, if that makes sense. Because like drinking, I loved going out with my friends. But what I realize now looking back is I loved getting dressed up. I loved like maybe having a drink before. And then I hated everything afterwards because there were tears and there was drama and there was so much regret. And then I'd wake up the next morning having eaten way too much food and feeling so hungover and disgusting and wasting my entire day. And that was like this pattern. And I still see this pattern at 30 years old with friends that I knew and not from a place of judgment in any way, because it comes from a heart of sadness of just seeing that people still live their life that way. Like they Saturday, Friday night and Saturday night are for getting absolutely trashed. And then 
their day on Sunday is wrecked and they keep living this. And I think we think in high school that we're just going to grow out of it, but it doesn't just stop. And that's why I think when a lot of people say to me, which I've heard a lot, that my story is just a story of maturity. Like it's not that God did anything. It's just realizing that I was done with that life and it wasn't good for me. And I just matured and I grew up. But then I see people that I spent time with and they're still living that same life. They're still from guy to guy, girl to girl. They're still drinking every night. That is where heart change comes in because sometimes we don't have control. And I know so many people who have succumbed to alcoholism and it breaks me because I know that I could very much be in that boat if it weren't for God's grace. And like, I'm just so thankful to the people in my life who shared Christ with me every opportunity that they could because they saved my life by telling me about the God of the Bible who could truly save my life. And so once I put that ring on, I felt so many things, but more than anything else, I felt completely free. And I wrote this in my post, but it's so true. Free from the obligation to be someone I never really wanted to be, free from allowing myself to feel used just because I was lonely, free from permitting someone who called only when he felt like it to define every ounce of my worth, free from seeking attention and praise for my looks or my body, free from the desire to give myself up to anyone who said that they loved me, especially someone who wouldn't walk a mile for me, let alone 500 miles. I would walk 500 miles or 5,000, is it? I don't remember. Um, But I was free from the life that was so far from what was intended for me. And I just want to encourage you all, like from the depths of my heart, that if you are in this boat, that if you're filling your heart with whatever it is that you do, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's sex, if it's relationships, if it's work, Anything that you use to temporarily satisfy yourself because you're feeling a need, that is not what God has intended for you. He has created you for so much more than temporary satisfaction. So no matter how disappointing or empty or discouraged or worthless or dirty you feel, you are not any of those things because you're more than your past, just like I'm more than my past. And God has made so much of my present and my future by using my story of hurt and pain and horrible decisions. You are precious and worthy, not because of anything you've done, but because of Jesus Christ who loves you and died on the cross for you. And so whatever it is right now, friends, ladies, men that you're dependent on or in bondage to, God is offering you a fresh start. Or If you're married now and you bear the burden of that guilt for the past mistakes or your spouse has a really hard time overcoming those things, you may not have deserved a second chance, but you're offered one and we have to accept that. And I think that we have to remind our spouses sometimes that if God has forgiven us, if we've surrendered our lives to Jesus and we claim him as our savior, that we are forgiven in him and the rest is history right? The rest is his to use for his glory and not for us to have held over our heads or to be ashamed of. I've been married to Jesse for eight years now and he and I fought really hard to remain pure for our marriage. I will say that was 
extremely difficult for me. And if I didn't have such a strong man who honored me and knew how important that purity was to me, I probably would have succumbed to it because I really struggled with feeling like I needed that intimacy, the physical sexual intimacy in order to know that he really cared about me because that's what I had believed for so long. And that's what I had been shown for so long that even if I didn't have a strong emotional or connective relationship, that if I had a physical relationship, that was sufficient. And God says, don't rely on this crutch of physical intimacy to sustain your relationship because that goes away. I remember a pastor saying a long time ago, if you get married for sex, it's like buying an airplane for the honey roasted peanuts. (laughs) And it's so true because that is such a small, minute portion of your marriage. And you'll probably find that as Satan uses sex outside of marriage to tempt you, he's then going to use a lack of desire for sex to destroy your marriage. So once you get married, it's like he just begins in trying to keep you from one another. And so this thing of like, oh, once we get married, it's going to be all amazing. And then our, our emotional connection will grow. That's a lie because that sexual connection and that emotional connection is a challenge when you get married because you are completely different people coming together, two sinners trying to make something work. But we were mocked for trying to stay pure. And I had a hard time. I remember there were fights, you guys, when I would try to be intimate with Jesse and he would (laughs) literally physically throw me off of him and say, I'm sorry, I will not. I will marry you. And when that time comes, then I will be intimate with you. But I know how important this is to God and I know how important this is to you and I respect you and I honor you and therefore it's not happening. And I would leave knowing what God had called me to and I'd slam the door and I'd get in my car crying and slam the door and say, you don't love me. You don't want me. You're not attracted to me. It's just crazy with the lies that Satan will put in our minds to get us to sin. But my husband loved God enough and he loved me enough to show me that his priority was my heart and not my body. And I had honestly never been offered that kind of respect before. But I also had never even tried to earn it because I didn't even know it was something that I want. And the closeness in our relationship, even now, you guys, was unmatched because we spent time talking and learning about one another and communicating and really digging deep rather than leaning on that intimacy as a crutch. And now, even now, our communication and our conversation, like people in our lives would tell you, we probably over communicate. We talk about everything. And I put so much on that time because in every other relationship, we would just, if we'd get bored, we would be intimate. And in that, we had to get creative with Jesse. We had to be creative. But he displayed to me this unconditional love that I had never once received in my life. He showed me who Jesus was to me. He made me feel truly loved and he made me feel like I was worth waiting for. On our honeymoon, it was like the sweetest time because it wasn't uncomfortable. It wasn't stressful. It wasn't boring because <laughs> we'd just been living together or sleeping together the whole time. Like it was all so new to us. And I realized in that moment that my story was no longer one of shame and brokenness and pain, but one of redemption. And I always say that it's a story from ashes to beauty because of God's forgiveness and love in my life. And I understood truly in that moment why we are called to wait, as I shared. I knew 
this is why. And so I just want to encourage you. It's never too late to start over. Whether you're 15 or 50, you can start fresh and say, God, take hold of my life. Whether your vice is pride or attention or distraction or work or whatever your idol is, whatever it is that you're placing in front of God, let me be the girl who tells you, you can wreck that life and you can start fresh and new. And this new path that I've been on now for 11 years, I've never been more joyful. I've never had more purpose. I've never loved people more or been more empathetic and compassionate toward people's pain. I have never laughed more. I have never had more fun because I know who I am and I'm not on a destructive path and I'm not allowing myself to live in this day-to-day mundane life where I don't know what's set out before me, where I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my calling is, but I wake up every morning knowing like God has given me a purpose. God has called me to share his word. God has called me to be holy, even more than happy. And yet he provides this incredible, beautiful joy and he has healed. There might still be memories, but that pain is so far gone from who I was, that I can live so joyfully and comfortably in who I am. And so I just want to ask you guys, wherever you are, are you willing to let Jesus change your story today? If so, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for anyone listening and close out. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have a good plan for us. We thank you that you created sex for pleasure and for joy in the confines of marriage and that you have made marriage such a beautiful gift. God, I pray for the single girls out there specifically today, those who may be hurting, those who may have given in to temptation, those who may be struggling with shame and guilt and regret, Lord, that you will show them your face and remind them of who they are, that they were created for a purpose They were created by you, that you love them, that you see them, that you know the number of hairs on their head and you know the tears that they've cried. And yet you love them, you forgive them, and you desire good for them. And so, Father, I pray that if they're hurting, if they're broken, that they will know the love and the forgiveness and the grace that you have because of your death on the cross and that you rose again three days later to show that you are the God of this universe and the God of our hearts. And so, Father, I pray for their lives. I pray for the brokenness that they're feeling today, whatever that is coming from, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's just not knowing who they are, whether it's struggle with finances or an addiction of some sort. God, I pray that you will free them completely and that you will show them your face and that they will surrender their lives to you. They'll repent for their sin and that they will know who you are and that you have a better life for them, Lord that you don't promise that things will be easy when they come to you, Father, but that you promise that you will guide their path and show them the way. And so I pray for anyone today who's listening, whether they love you and are redeemed and are saved or whether they are far from you, Lord, that you will show your face to them, that you will give them scripture to read that will mend their heart, that will offer them healing and that will show them the depths of who you are. Father, we love you so much. We thank you. I thank you. For my story. I thank you for the healing of my life. And I pray that you continue to remove my dreams, to remove my memories, and to allow me to focus on the present life that you have given me. 
We love you. I thank you so much for my listeners, for this podcast, for this opportunity. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thank you you could ever offer is to share the love. The simple act of taking a quick screenshot of the episode and tagging at Living Easy Podcast makes such a huge difference in this journey. If you're impacted, someone else might be too, so don't hesitate to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. Also, if you haven't already, please do scroll down from this episode to give a star rating and quick review for the podcast. It only takes a minute, but the impact is huge. Thank you all so much for your support. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at livingeasypodcast and at lindsay.myestis. Love you guys.